and welcome back to Red Rose Reporting in the Red Rose Reporting special, Red Rose Reporting Rises Again. That's enough times I've said that now. Yes, the podcast is back after a long hiatus, which was preceded by another long hiatus. I love a consistent uploading schedule. Uh, joining me, as ever, is Rob Clark. Hello. Connor Dockra. Hello. Fantastic. And Josh Dean. Evening, everyone. And last but not least, we also have joining us Amy Dwyer. Hello. Hello. Right, so that's everyone accounted for. Let's crack on with the podcast. So this is going to be the first uploaded episode of 2022. Um, if you don't include an aborted attempt in January, which didn't go too well. So my first little question to the panel. It's been about five months since we last recorded. How's everyone's 2022 been going? And let's start off with Connor. I mean, 2022, um, we're here literally at the end of March. And I, I feel like mentally I'm still in December, you know? So much hasn't been happening. <laughs> I mean, obviously, COVID stuff is only just winding down. I've mostly just been doing, like, parish council work because still most stuff is not on since then, you know? But, you know, stuff will be starting for realsies this time, so I'm sure in, like, the next few months I'll have done lots of stuff, hopefully. Fingers crossed. You're making me think that because we didn't record anything, nothing's happened so far this year for us. So maybe the key to getting progress is to get the podcast back on air. Um, let's go to Rob. How's your 2022 been going? Uh, I uh, 2022, George. Yeah, wow, what a roller coaster. Um, well, we had the the Red Rose Reporting Conference um, to celebrate us not actually doing the podcast this year. Uh, <laughs> we we rewarded ourselves by going to to lovely York in the sun. Me, you, uh, Amy, and Alistair, um, living yeah, it up you, in York. The real core team of Red Rose Reporting. The you, core if get, team. If you didn't go to that, you may as well just quit the podcast now. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure Josh and Connor regret it, but uh, <laughs> the next one where we go to, uh, I don't know, Skegness, they'll be there. They'll be there. Uh, no, it's um, it's been fairly relaxed. I've just been working. We're doing the Red Rose Reporting stuff. You and me and our professional badminton players. Life is good. Life is good. Life is indeed good. Um, Skegness as well is not final. We'll have to debate that later on. Um, right, let's turn to Joshua Dean. How's your 2022 been going? Um, have you ever seen Dog Day Afternoon? Regretfully, no. Oh, well, that's a reference that anyone over the age of 40 will get. But in all seriousness... Um, I've not been doing, you know, we, we've, um, I've been doing some phone banks. Uh, I set up a phone bank in, in the East for young Labour members. So I've been doing a bit of stuff with that. And I've, I've gotten really into iced tea recently, actually. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and as, as we spoke about before the podcast, I'm really into spaghetti bolognese these days. So, you know, I'm, I'm a semi-functioning human being. <laughs> um, and that's how it's been going this year. Um. Minor point that I'm just going to indulge myself on. Um, speaking of someone who's tried selling tea for four years, when you say iced tea, are you just guzzling Liptons or are you making your own using like black tea leaves? No, I'm guzzling Lipton. Sorry, George. <laughs> His I'm face. Hot. No one can see it, but George is so disappointed. I feel I've really know. let you down there. You really have let me down. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I'm genuinely disappointed. I, I love it. I've, I've, I've only just got started on spaghetti bolognese. I can't be making my own iced tea as well. I'll never get anything else done. 
Join us in four weeks' time when Josh Redeed learns another thing in the cookbook. Um, let's go to Amy Dwyer, last but not least. Amy, how has your 2022 been going? Well, there's been a war. Um, not really to do with me, but I did not think I'd be the first one to mention that, considering I went third. So, Rob, Josh, you're both going to hell. Did Paul <laughs> just not, um, not happen for you? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Did you come to York from Kiev? What were you doing? I don't understand why why this is. <laughs> this is... Well, it's been going on. It's been part of my life, I guess. I don't know. It's been there. Um, anyway, more about me. Um, published some really cool EV policies. So go check that out on the OZO website if you haven't already, which obviously you all have. Um, graduated on Tuesday. That was fun. They read out the wrong degree which kind of just finished my uni experience to a T. Standard Manchester through and through. And I've realised I'm not a functional human being. I can't eat healthy unless I'm eating a gusto box. So that's now crippling me in debt. That's my 2022 so far. Crippled war, by debt. Yeah, war debt and um, basically having a uni degree eradicated by Manchester. That's not a great 2022 so far, I won't lie. But apart from that, everyone seems to be on kind of a positive trade. I'd say by now we're cooking on gas, but I won't because we can't afford to say that because no one can afford gas these days because the cost of living has shot up cripplingly. Uh, people are projected to be paying um, £1,300 more for their fuel bills uh, by autumn time compared to last year. It's um, an absolute crisis that has crippled the nation in the last month, uh, so much so it's even managed to drown out, as Amy mentioned, a actual war going off in Europe for the first time in 75 years uh, between two belligerent nations. And the Chancellor, despite promising a silver bullet in the spring statement, didn't deliver. Um, currently, people, to be blunt, are screwed to the point where Martin Lewis has become sort of a Robin Hood hero of Twitter. Um, to my panel, I just want to ask really a blunt question. Um, do you worry that both the main parties don't have an answer to this? Like, is it going to be the case that we're just going to sit back and watch as people slink into fuel poverty um, and that that becomes the norm for the 2020s? And uh, let's start with Josh. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, I think, you know, obviously Labour's put forward their position, which, you know, I think starts going the right direction. Um, but the, 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 the tricky thing here is that no matter what policy the Labour Party puts forward, we're not in a position to enact it. Um, so we could have the best policies in the world and, you know, some of the tax rises and things like that, you know, cancelling the tax rises, I absolutely agree with, for example. Um, but we're not in a position to change policy. Um, I think Michael, the fundamental problem, sorry. Michael, I just cut in for the, the benefit of everyone listening, perhaps later on when the politics, political dance has moved on. What is Labour's policy right now? So um, for the benefit of listeners, Labour would drop the national insurance increase that the Tories have proposed, reverse the cuts to universal credit and lower the tax threshold. Um, and it's worth bearing in mind that the spring statement the Chancellor just put forward has actually increased the number of people paying tax. Um, we'd also end the public sector pay freeze. And I think something that's really important that when we are in government, um, we'd chase the COVID fraudsters that have defrauded the government of, I think, something in the, the range of millions of pounds um, to get them to repay. And the big one, obviously, taxing the energy companies who are recording record profits um, and, you know, international corporations like Google and Amazon, who are, you know, making massive amounts of money out of COVID. Um, but I think the key thing here, you know, whatever the policies are, and I do agree with Labour's policies, um, we're not in a position to enact them. And I think you've got a fundamental problem 
when you have a chancellor who is completely isolated from the reality of people living in Britain today. Um, he has absolutely no idea how this is going to affect people, apart from what he's read on a briefing, apart from what his advisors say to him, because he is so astronomically rich. He's the richest man in Parliament. He is entirely insulated from the impact of the cost of living crisis, um, and he has absolutely no concept of the effect or lack of effect that his policies will really have on people in this country. So, so my view is, you know, Labour does have what I think is a good platform um, and I would like to see it enacted, but unfortunately we're not in government and the Tories won't pick up on it. Um, and as for the government, I think, you know, just absolutely no concept of what, what's going to happen for people in this country, because not just Rishi Sunak, but the vast majority of the front bench are completely isolated and completely insulated. Uh, from the reality of what it is to live in Britain today. Very good, thank you very much. Um, let's turn now, because you mentioned local government, to uh, Connor, who is in the localist of local government, parish council government. Uh, Connor, um, do you think that the main parties don't have an answer to this? Um, I appreciate this is kind of the perfect framing for someone in the Lib Dems, so um, as brief as you, as you could, please. Well, yeah, as a Lib Dem, obviously, I'm not the biggest fan of the two major parties, but the cost of living crisis is basically a crisis on two fronts. You've got the fact that over the last couple or three generations, the average purchasing power of the consumer in Britain has collapsed, and then you've, which is the more long-term issue. So people just outright have less money on hand as a percentage of, you know, amount of money the average consumer can spend in the economy compared to where it was 50 years ago. That's a crisis that's been going on for decades now and is at its worst point now. But then there's also the immediate problem, and that's the fuel. That's the gas. That's the people can't afford to heat their homes. And on the point of like the more long-term decline of particularly working-class people to you know have you know let alone disposable income, just have the money they need to actually live a, a normal livable life. I think. Labour is obviously slightly better than that on the Tories, just on the basis of, you know, that's where Labour's core constituency is, that's where Labour's always focused on. But what I am worried about is that if you look at that energy problem, if you look at that gas, that fuel problem, that is also an issue which is only going to get worse generationally. Because as we're looking at the climate crisis on the corner, this is very much a part of that. And you have seen people on the right try and turn this into the whole net zero social culture wars fight they're trying to have. But at its core, if you do not solve the energy situation, then every single winter we are going to have a problem where even if you bankrolled every single house in Britain to be able to heat itself, you would still have the costs to the nation spiralling and spiralling and spiralling. And what both parties need to seriously consider is a long-term strategy of how they are going to only decarbonise energy, but make sure they continue to provide energy. You know, That's this right, is one area... I, I, I must cut in because this is where I lead into my question, which is one of the big things that we've, uh, we've not talked about much in a podcast is that during this podcast, political lifespan, what's become quite uh, common now is people talking about 2024 is probably a nice result would be Labour and the Lib Dems going into the coalition. If Labour and Lib Dems went into the coalition, would that government be able to come up with a solution to this crisis that you speak of? Oh, I, I think that would actually be very probably good for green affairs, 
because a thing that both parties have is that uh, the, the core like membership of both parties are obviously very environmentally conscious, but both of them want to play well amongst the electorate and want to win votes primarily off Tories. So both try to sort of like hush, hush, you know, say quite nimbious stuff on energy production here and there. And I think actually if the Lib Dems and Labour into coalition, it would be good because both of them would be able to do really pro-environmental stuff and just completely try and push off any of the negative aspects on the other party. Like both Lib Dems and Labour would probably get behind the scenes and go, we both really want to do all this green stuff, don't we? And once they actually get down to the table and somebody goes, oh, well, why have we agreed to this plan here, which is going to take up this much space? They go, oh, no, sorry, we had to agree to it as part of the coalition. And, you know, it, that I think, you know, the fact that they would hold themselves mutually accountable, I think would be very positive. And also it just helps to have a government made up of two parties that do care about the environment. Because despite what Reform UK say, we all know the Tories do not. They absolutely do not, Connor. Thank you for agreeing with me there. And also for um, talking up the fact that there might actually be a Lib Dem solution to NIMBYism, uh, which you deal with in your everyday life as a parish councillor. God bless you. Rob, let's come to you then. Um, you've been an observer of the cost of living crisis that's going off in your local community. Um, I'm sure like me, you're quite aware. I mean, I have a lot of co-workers who constantly speak about the fact they no longer have like the heating on like for the bulk of the day I, I know a few of my friends have stopped charging their phones overnight to try and save the cost of power I mean it's really coming through do you worry about the fact that um, basically neither of the main parties might have a solution to this crisis in everyone's lives right now uh, I think yes I think it's probably perfectly natural to worry that there's no immediate solution to this problem I think the, the sort of gist of it is that Josh hit it on the, the sort of hit the nail on the head with the fact that Labour does have a plan that I think could genuinely benefit people but we've got no way of implementing it so the problem at the moment is to more focus on what are the Conservatives doing and the answer is absolutely nothing there's been absolutely no sign at all of any sort of response from the people who run the economy who run every aspect of, of, of our economic life there's been nothing there's been no attempt to do it people are terrified of this it is absolutely abhorrent I mean, I was told a story by my, my driving instructor that uh, a member of their family was in actual tears because when the bill came through, it had risen by nearly £300 and they simply couldn't afford to pay it. And that's one story and it's going to be replicated again and again and again and again and again across every single part of this country. And there is no, I mean, there's no answer to it from the government. The budget, I failed to really see how the budget could in any real material way help at all, at all, in any sort of way. There's, there's nothing in that budget beyond Rishi Sunak's ego. And if he thought he had a silver bullet, then, then all he managed to do with the budget is point it straight at his foot and shoot himself through it because he's done nothing. He's promised nothing to us and the country's on the brink of, of, of this living crisis. I mean, today, Martin Lewis and others encourage people to get their meter readings to uh, the energy companies because tomorrow is when the cap goes up and the, the degree of panic is such that every single energy company in this country, their website has crashed. That is how worried people are. I don't really think that will have ever happened before. Every single company that provides energy in this country being unable to provide assistance to its customers because the volume 
is so vast of people who are genuinely petrified of, of when the next bill comes through that they're, that they're rushing to get this done. It, it's horrifying. It, it's horrifying to see this around you in your community and, and not be able to do anything about it. Because Josh is right, we've got 200... 200 MPs, a few, a couple more than 200 MPs. We can't do anything really. We can, we can kick up a fuss. We can campaign, but until that election rolls around, likely now in 2024, there is nothing we can do. And by that point, at least 1.3 million people, as it will have been plunged into poverty. That's not to say anything of the millions of people who are already in poverty and have been since the Conservatives took power all the way back under David Cameron in 2010. So, yeah, I think, I think it's perfectly reasonable to be very worried about the plan and the response to this crisis. Uh, thank you very much for that, Rob. Right, so we're just going to quickly jump to Amy now, who is just going to uh, finish off the statement for us. Amy, if you'd like to go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, to like echo Rob's point about how sort of scary it is for everyone, obviously, um, working in OZEV, it's really difficult to like promote EVs at the minute because we're there trying to push everyone to use their electricity more um, at a time when they can't even afford heating or to cook or to, you know, like cook hot food. So it's also difficult from that standpoint as well. We've talked about how all of this comes down to perhaps a, I think in all the answers there was identified a lack of action from central government. Now, as Bob identified, the only way of changing that would be an election and getting rid of the current lot and replacing them with Labour. So this then comes to the issue of um, popularity, because we covered the Owen Patterson affair when it broke in a live episode, which actually coincidentally was our most listened to episode. Thank you very much. Um, but since then, we've had God knows how many revelations. Partygate blew up in our faces. Everything went on. We had uh, an MP defect to Labour um, the first time since 2008 that happened so much has happened and then the war in ukraine has broken out and boris johnson clings onto power damaged the tories have been behind in the polls i think the last time they led in one was early december time meaning that if nothing changes by april 6 we will have had five yeah five months straight of labor leads so my question to the panel is by now given the fact that boris has uh, polling ratings and the Conservative Party at large seems to be recovering because the Tories are hovering around about four points behind Labour versus about ten points behind a month ago. Um, has the public just gotten over like Partygate and did they feel fine with the idea of Boris and the Tories being in power right now? Um, which we're going to hop straight back to Amy Dwyer for Amy. I don't think it's necessarily that they've forgotten. I don't think it's necessarily people have forgotten. I think it's just that it's hard to like focus on that when there's this crisis that's sort of taking over most people's like every moment it's hard to kind of focus back on the parties but I think that's really the job of the opposition to remind people of what's happened and all the like the mistakes that have been made and I was saying this to you George that if if Labour can't win an election after all of this stuff that's gone on I honestly don't see where the future goes for Labour because it's embarrassing at this point if they can make this many mistakes and we can't remind people of it to an extent that they will think, actually, maybe we shouldn't keep voting them in. If we can't do that, then I struggle to see what, where we go from here, to be honest. Very much for that very blunt assessment, Amy. Um, so let's turn to the czar of polling on this podcast, uh, Rob Clark. 
Rob, um, has the public just simply not paired the Conservatives with the fact they can't afford to have the heating on and the lights on at the same time? I mean, what's happening here? Is Boris having a bump or are people just apathetic in general? Uh, number one, I have absolutely no qualifications to suggest I'm appalling, so I will put that out there uh, straight away. Um, um, okay, you, know, you, you are the man of polling. I, I trust you. Okay. Okay. That is a that's, thank you very much. No pressure. Um, I think at the moment, as Amy says, Partygate has been taken over by two successive crises. Um, we've had the war in Ukraine, which I think has really diverted an awful lot of attention away from Partygate. I think that's fair, to be honest. I mean, the, the, the crimes that are happening in in Ukraine at the moment are absolutely abhorrent. And I think, I mean, I, I detest Boris Johnson. I detest what he's doing. I do think he should resign. And I think he should have resigned the moment the Partygate thing comes. And if there is a fine for Boris Johnson, he should resign. But in the grand scheme of things, the people of Ukraine and their plight is more important than that particular incident. I think that's fair to say. In the same breath, I don't think people have forgotten about Partygate. You talk about the polling. Um, I'm not sure uh, we we've spoken to to Josh before, not Josh Dean, sadly, but the the uh, we spoken to another Josh before on the podcast a long while ago, and he is a, a real real you know wizard with polls, and he's he's pointed out how a lot of Boris Johnson's numbers have not recovered, and that is still from after the Partygate thing, his numbers have not recovered. Trust for Boris Johnson in particular is absolutely through the, through the floor. People don't trust him anymore. I think. A lot of that that shine, that sheen that Boris Johnson used to irradiate and just give off is gone. I don't think people want to... People used to want to go up to him and speak to him and have sort of a, a casual conversation with Boris Johnson. I don't think that's the case anymore. I, think, I don't think people want to interact with him. I don't think they want to be particularly near him. I think they see him for what he is, which is a charlatan at the moment. Um, and I don't think it's going to get much better because he's got no response to... The crisis, uh, there were reports that he tried and Rishi Sunak overruled him. But perhaps someone should point out to Boris Johnson that he is actually in charge of the economy, really. He's the first secretary of state to the Treasury or whatever the title is. He's realistically, he has final say over it. He's the prime minister, for Christ's sake. So, he's, you know, if Rishi Sunak says no and the prime minister of this country says yes, the prime minister should win in that particular battle, which indicates to me that Boris Johnson is now so greatly reduced, even within his own party, that uh, his chancellor can overrule him blatantly and negatively impact the country as a result. So I don't think people have forgotten. I just think they've been taken up with what's going on at the moment. And underneath that surface, if you, if you tap someone, for example, you said to someone, do you remember Partygate? I don't think many people are going to remember it fondly, but I think people just don't, bring it up in conversation much anymore so they're not forgotten but they, they aren't actively pushing it at the moment okay thank you very much rob well i've talked all i think this podcast can suffer for partygate so uh going to uh connor i'm going to go for a different angle connor uh can a government which is riddled in scandal um failing on the basic points of making sure that people can afford to boil the kettle twice in one day and failing to ban conversion therapy stay in government in 2024 Probably. I mean, uh, first of all, we should we. And this is the first time that I've ever said this, and it's been a slightly pro-labour point. 
but I, I can remember in one of the first bits of the podcast, I said that Labour's position being so bad as it was in the last general election, to go into the 2024 or whatever it ends up being general election and expecting to win would be odd. Because obviously you could do the thing that is... It is the done thing where you could just list all the things the government has done wrong, where this, that, this, that, this, that, this, that, and say, look at all of these failures. How could people possibly vote for this? Which is, you know, a fair assessment of the government, but it's not necessarily a fair assessment of voting behaviour. Because, yes, a huge number of people could flip, and perhaps even the biggest number of voters will flip in generations but that could all still occur, and the Tories could get the most seats at the next election, is the scale of the task before Labour, because of the situation Corbyn left them in, because of how disastrous that 2019 result was, Labour could have a marvellous campaign, and they could still end up, you know, even just two seats behind. And that wouldn't necessarily be a bad result in and of itself. But Labour needs to, and just people in general, need to recognise there is a lot of context at play here. But also you've got to remember that Keir Starmer is many things. I am very famously anti-Keir. <laughs> but he, you know, there are many positive aspects of Keir Starmer, but you would not necessarily describe him as a charismatic campaigner. And certainly not a campaigner in the way that Boris is. And we can all sit here for 30 more minutes and list the many faults personal political of Boris Johnson, but the man is among the most preeminent campaigners of the current generation of British politicians. And we can argue, is that still going to go over well? Will people forgive him in time? But that doesn't change the fact that that is true, that Boris is a better campaigner than, than Starmer is. And, you know, given all that context, I would be shocked if Labour would win the next election. Labour could just about get more seats and we shouldn't forget Labour are still polling ahead of the Tories the best the Tories can do is basically a draw at the moment but I would be shocked if that could turn into like a, a Labour majority or Labour plurality by many seats just because we have to recognise the situation Labour is in it is not easy to overturn what they've got going for them. Before we go to Joshua Dean I would just like to point out purely for partisan hacky purposes, that one crucial difference between this parliament and the one which often people compare it to, which is the last normal parliament, which was the 2020 to 2015 one, which is Keir Starmer's personal ratings are in a considerably better place than Ed Miliband's were at this point of his leadership when Labour were ahead by a similar polling number. So I'm going to throw that out there. I'm probably going to come back to this in two, three years and I've been proven historically correct or historically wrong, but that's for future Josh to worry about. Josh Dean, let's turn to you. You've had the question a few times. I'm just going to ask it bluntly. Um, 2024, will the public simply just get over this and give the Tories another chance to fix the economy? They've buggered up. Um, I think I'm going to come at this from a slightly different way because I think, yeah, there actually is a potential that people do remember this. Um, but I don't think the Tories are leaving it to chance that they do remember or do forget. Because if you actually look at Oliver Dowden's speech at Spring Conference, if you look at the jokes that Boris Johnson was cracking at their, you know, lovely, expensive Tory MP dinner the other night, the Tories are actively going to pursue a platform based on fighting bizarre, nasty, divisive culture wars as a way of winning the next election, as a way of making themselves seem like they're standing up for British values. Um, 
and to make sure that people don't talk about, do you remember when Boris Johnson lied about Partygate? To make sure that people don't talk about, do you remember when Rishi Sunak left us all in the shit? Um, because they know that they can't win on a platform of this is our great record over the last five years. They need to win on a platform of this is why you shouldn't trust your neighbour, the person at your kid's school, the person in your changing rooms. Um, and if you just look at the horrendous questions that Labour MPs have been pitched over the last few days, um, you know, just horribly reductive questions about genitalia and completely unsensitive discussions. Um, the Tories are winning in getting this culture war that they want so badly. Um, and the media is playing completely into their hands by reducing what is meant to be a sensitive discussion for many reasons um, into just a, a nasty thing that plays to no one but the right wing. Um, so do I think people will remember? I think there's a chance, but I think the Tories are doing everything possible to make sure that they forget. And actually, you know, we talk about Boris Johnson as a campaigner and Keir Starmer as a campaigner. I think things in politics, and this is a horribly cynical view, but I think things in our politics in this country are actually going to get a lot, lot uglier in the next two years and not a lot better. Um, and I do think that when you come to 2024, we'll be in a position where we're not talking about, you know, the Labour Party calling the Tories out for Partygate and the Tories as the party of Partygate. But we'll be in a position, in my view, where the Tory party will be, you know, the party of continuing politics as it is in a post-truth society where you can say whatever you want and it doesn't have to be true. And potentially Labour and the other opposition parties as the parties that do want to change our politics for the better. That's, you know, my very specific view. Um, it is slightly cynical. And obviously, I would hope that the Labour Party wins in that scenario. Um, but I, I think I think if people think Partygate will be the biggest issue in the next few years. I think there is a chance it could be an afterthought, but not for the reasons people think. I think things are going to get quite a lot nastier. Well, thank you for that uh, professionally cynical take. Um, so we're going to now move from that. And um, Josh mentioned about the openness of our current politics. So it's quite personality based. It's quite crude and people call each other out and are quite aggressive. And I thought I'd feed into that and close off the podcast with a classic edition of our signature section, Politician Tom Partridge, which is um, actually a special edition, which is dedicated to Vladimir Putin. Um, it's called Putin or Partridge, which is where I've gone through Putin's uh, claims made either by him or by the Russian state media and compared them to facts I dug out of Alan Partridge's biography. Um, is the panel ready? Thumbs up from some people. Yes, yes. yes, there we go. Wonderful stuff. Excellent. Shall we begin? It's quite simple, really. We're all going to play along. I'm going to take a group vote, okay? So you need to work together. I'm going to read you a statement. You just need to sign if it's Putin or if it's Partridge. So everyone, please unmute. Right. Statement number one. There we go. He was able to walk to school with just three gulps of air. What the heck? Ooh. Oh, you read this to me the other day. That suggests to me it's Partridge because he never stops going yeah. on about Partridge. Yeah, but it, it was this thing that he read out. It, it wasn't just him rambling as usual. It, it was this. Is it, it Putin or Partridge? I got it right, but I don't remember which one I said. Amazing. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, Amy, where do your intuitions lead you? You've been right before. You could be right again. I want to say... Mm. <laughs> um, partridge? Yeah, I'd agree with partridge. that, yeah. Josh is going Partridge. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stick with Amy. Group for Partridge. Oh, great. Bang correct, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. Yes, he used to claim that um, in his biography that he would walk to school in three gulps of air, which enabled him to take part in the new gang rap of its time, Whistling. Um, statement <laughs> number two. Um, he responds to bad news by digging holes in the garden. Oh, William Gladstone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, very, very topical political reference there. <laughs> Gladstone never dies, Connor. His legacy is forever. You could have, you could have chosen Jeremy Corbyn for that one, but you went, you went for something different. I respect it. It's and a niche. We need to dig up the holes so we can put the bad holes in. There. I went for the hero of my A-level history. <laughs> really easy. <laughs> Who did this? Oh, it was Gladstone. <laughs> I don't Gladstone. think. I, I feel like. Putin, I, I get that he controls the country, but you can't be going around digging up your garden, can you, if it's like a proper place? I like how that's your thought, like his landlord's going to come around. He's a like, parish right, counsellor. <laughs> Listen, I don't believe that Putin has the prerequisite planning permission nor to dig up surface poles in his back garden. Connor, <laughs> Connor the important thing is, is can the holes be viewed from horseback height? <laughs> right. What was the statement again? He responds to bad news by digging holes in his garden. It, it's so much easier for Alan Partridge to dig a hole in his garden. That's that's my start. Yeah, I mean, does Putin yeah. have a garden? Yes, probably got many. He has dackers, you know, his private estates. But is that not like? Would he call it a garden? Well, well Boris also, Johnson, like, they also have like rose gardens and stuff in them as well. Can he oh, dig right. the rose? Can Boris Johnson legally dig the rose garden? Good question. I mean, real questions. I, I mean, I God think... knows what he'd hide in there. But might be able to is, I don't know what it is about this statement, but it's prompted the most nimby response from Connor I've heard in my yeah. life. It's not nimby. I'm not a nimby. If you're it up his garden, it's some goddamn garden. I'm just saying. What's, what's I, must, I, 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 I really must push for an answer here. Uh, P- I, I, I think Partridge. Go on. What do you I think? I think Partridge. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Connor, what does the nimby say? I said part. What? Partridge. <laughs> Fan correct, hold on. <laughs> he revealed that in a letter where he explained why his wife left him. Um, okay, next oh, question. <laughs> <laughs> he was forced to work as a cabbie during a career slump. That's Putin. That is yeah, it is. Putin. It is. Putin, Fan correct. It forced him to realise he hated the 90s. Um, he once claimed he found ancient pottery with his son, but was forced to admit it was fake by the archaeological community. Putin! Oh, that could be both. But Amy that said it was be both. such vigour. We have lots yeah. of archaeology down our way. Uh... It is an East Anglian trope. Mm. He's influencing the answer now. <laughs> mm. <laughs> to be fair, Rob, I can't influence the answer. I can only... Not you, George. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to influence the answer. We're working as a team. <laughs> God's sake, Connor. Um, was they found pottery? Is, is Russia known for its ancient pottery? Because the because the, the East Anglia. Wait, Rob, is... I've told you the answer. Is it Putin? Yeah. 
Right, okay, if it's I'll go not, with Amy. it'll be embarrassing. But I'll go with Amy then. She seems determined. Yeah. All I'm saying is Amy my, has my book, very definitive here. My, my book from the Orvik Centre, everyone should visit, says that Ipswich has a, a burgeoning pottery industry. So maybe it's that. But we'll go. There, with there's Newton. no need to bring Suffolk into this job. Um, well, well done, Amy, for remembering what I told you because that is oh, correct. He was Newton went on a holiday to Greece in 2011 went with a bunch of journalists on a boat. Went beneath the water with his son. Came back with some pottery. And then four years later admitted that, yeah, it was planted. Um, <laughs> Why did you tell me all the answers before this? I was going to say, I mean, this is... Someone got paid to plant pottery. That's what I find the best out of this story, that some man's <laughs> job for a couple of days there was to find pottery that he thought looked knackered enough and find a place to dump it. Oh, dear. He announced his divorce in the middle of a ballet. Oh, that's, um, that's Putin. Too. I feel like that's Putin. Josh has said it with confidence, and that's the greatest barometer. So, so I'm pretty, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Putin is a fan of the ballet. Mm. Yeah, let's go with that. All right, correct. It was Putin. All right. He did it during the halftime feature as well, and then went sat back down with his divorced wife uh, for the second half. It's she, um, <laughs> did she know beforehand, or was it a bit of a surprise? I have no idea on that. So it it I... wasn't he announced it. That was the officiation. No, that was the official announcement. <laughs> he went to the ballerina a married man he left <laughs> just got moved by it okay uh, next one his divorce results in him uh, dating someone 13 years younger than him from Ukraine oh no that's you've thrown a twist in the tail don't know I don't know there we go then thanks <laughs> <laughs> a good contribution from Josh thank you <laughs> Josh, you're lying in a podcast grave. Do you know what it says on your headstone? I don't know. Joshua, thank you. It says ketchup. <laughs> here's, here's, what I, here's what annoys me about this answer, because either, either one you guess, George could go, aha, I threw in Ukrainians and there's double plus. Oh, you thought it would be yeah. marching because I put Ukrainian. Oh, but that's actually what makes it better. Oh, you thought Putin because I put Ukrainian. Either way, he could be like, I've done yeah. everything. Well, go on, then. I think it's partridge. Yeah, go on. I think I, yeah. Well done, Connor. It's correct. <laughs> I feel, like, I feel <laughs> like if Putin had had a Ukrainian girlfriend, it'd have been in the news a bit more. I just did regression yeah. to fifty percent. I think we've had three parties, three Putins. Now I'm not delighted, George. Thank you very much for that, Connor. More of that when I ask for it. Um, right, next one. Oh no! Oh dear. Right, Amy, how's your painting coming, by the way? Oh, do you want to see it? Yeah, go on. Go on, go to the podcast. It's well sick, isn't it? Oh, my oh, God. Oh, really my God. God. No I did, I did, I did not know you were really a good, good painter, Amy. This is... Oh, it's it's paint by numbers. Yeah, but you've painted it. You've followed the numbers, mm. which is more than I can do. I can count. I yeah, I'm fucking sick, count. actually. <laughs> oh, my God, Amy, you're convinced. You know what? Yeah, I'm fucking sick. <laughs> <laughs> Right, here we go. Next one. Um, he's saying Blueberry Hill at a charity event dinner. What the? Oh, what is Blueberry Putin, Hill? Isn't it? Is that not Putin? Because it was it not terrible? Was he not? I'm sure I've seen a video of him singing a song, and he's really bad at singing it. And I, I, I strongly suspect this is not Putin, but yeah, I'm I think willing it's Partridge. I, right. I, oh. I lean towards Putin. Rob's wrong. Entirely because how many, how many charity galas is? Is, is Alan Partridge getting invited to? You know, How many charity galas is Putin going to? And that is exactly why he's never invited back, Josh, because he's a <laughs> terrible singer. 
There was a shocking amount of charity galas in the Partridge Cannon. I'm just going to say that. I will go with Josh and Amy. Yeah, I'll go with Josh and Amy though, with the addition that there were lots of charity galas in. Yeah. <laughs> so what? What are you guys all saying? Well, we, I've been I've been bullied into saying it's Partridge. Well, Rob, you should have stopped with your gut because it's poop. Yeah, I fucking knew it. <laughs> I'm fucking joking. No, I've oh. seen the video. I said I've seen the video. And Josh, and Josh was like, no. <laughs> no, there are charity girls in Partridge. There's no way. Well, Rob. Rob, if you'd seen the video, why did you let yourself get convinced you hadn't seen it? I live for the anger, Amy. <laughs> I mean, I'll feed the younger further Rob. You clearly watched the wrong video because most people who attended said he actually did quite a good job. I've seen a video of him singing terribly, so maybe they've just been bullied into saying he's a good singer. Fair, or he sang twice. Have you? Uh, was he singing in English? Um, yes, I think he. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Um, I do, I, I'm I'm going to cut this off here because we're running rapidly out of time. It's my final one. I say for last because it's my favourite claim made by either two men. He once tried to crush a frying pan with both hands. Putin. Uh, yeah. What does that mean? What does it mean? <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Just, what do you do? That's got to be Putin. I think that's Putin. No, I yeah. don't think so because here's what here's what makes me think it's Partridge. Because Putin would never claim that he tried. Putin mm. would Putin would claim. He did crush a frying pan with both. Putin would never openly admit that he was beaten by a frying pan. But someone might have seen him or heard about it and then passed it on. Oh. I've Googled it and nothing comes up, so I don't think it's passed. Doing that? You can't be throwing out Google. Breaking the rules. Breaking the rules. I can't believe it. I'm actually more. I'm more interested that you Googled did Putin try to crush a frying pan. Than, than, no, I forgot what I was going to say. Ignore me. <laughs> oh, I'm, 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 I'm heavily leaning towards Partridge. I'm a Partridge fan on this one. <laughs> I, I'm going to say Partridge based on Amy's research. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. I Googled Partridge right now. No, 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 no. You cannot go around saying, oh, lads, I've Googled the answer. I'll tell you why. Well, it's not. Is it a dolphin in a bathroom? What are you going to do? George is going to throw us out of the garden. I know what I was going to say. What is it? Josh has remembered. Yeah, I've also seen a picture. I know who it is. Myth. I was but, going to ask why right, doesn't Amy, Amy just Google Amy the question? Just, yeah, I could have just done that. Just this one thing, Amy's not like a Because I got loads of recipes for cooking partridge in a frying pan, which is not what I was after. But I've now seen the answer. How do oh. you cook partridge in a frying pan, Amy? Tell us the answer. With ketchup. Oh, no. But it did. For the sake of sanity itself, can we just answer partridge? Partridge. <laughs> <laughs> it's Putin. Is it? It's yeah. Partridge. It's well, not the partridge. group answered the group answered Partridge. The answer actually is Putin. I didn't. Well, you don't count, so as I said, you'll be yourself. I've sent in the photo of the thing as a I already sent it in. Look at the I've just put a picture of this for everyone to see. Have a look at this photo in Ooh. the chat. Um and you know what? Um Con, it wasn't bad logic with the thinking of trying to, but literally every person who covered it, including Reuters, mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry, except Reuters, said try, but Reuters spun it as uh, he bent it a little bit. Can you make this the picture for the podcast? 
I can make this people the picture need to, for the podcast. This is a, it looks like, just to describe to people who haven't seen it, it looks like he's in the middle of a crowd and somebody brought one from home and they were like, Mr. President, Mr. President, I need to know. Can you do this? And Putin doesn't know. He's as curious as the rest of us. Can we, yeah. um, can we put Alistair's face over Putin there? Yes. So yes, we, we do can. have a war criminal as the uh, <laughs> as the poster for the fucking episode. Yeah, I, I'm honestly trying to remember the context of why he was crushing a frying pan. I think Connor's right that like he was presented it by someone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I, yes, it's exactly yes. I've just got I've got the article up now. Um, Putin was trying to win over voters with yet another display of macho. This time at a pro Kremlin youth camp uh, where he took part in climbing and refereed an arm wrestling contest. I love it. This is what happens when you don't actually have to win over votes. <laughs> you don't actually need to get the votes. Like, oh, this oh, is all. I'll turn this... up. I'll bend a frying pan. I'm this here, is... basically. So the, the, the end. The end result of a lack of democracy is if someone passes you a frying pan, says, "Can you bend it?" You say, "Fuck it, I'll give it a go." This is why the democratic reforms are so important. <laughs> this also seems to be what happens when you have no democracies. You actually come out on partridge because the other headlines in this story, because it basically at the bottom, they just linked a bunch of other weird Putin stuff. One of them is. Um, in October 2008, he fronted a martial arts video called Let's Learn Judo with Vladimir Putin. Um, then in November, he reached speeds of 150 miles per hour where he raced a Formula One car around a track. This, this is all just... You know absolutely- what? Ed Miliband would have thrived in this world because he could have eaten bacon sandwiches with, like, no worries at all. If, if, I just feel oh, bad that we live in a world where he can't do that. Well, unfortunately, Amy, this happened in 2011, so this happened when Ed Miliband was in his prime. Um, this was, was pre See, he should have gone over to Russia and been fine. <laughs> he should have thrived. Been I'm pretty sure there were a couple of Daily Mail articles at the time that were suggesting similar uh, <laughs> ideas. Excellent. And, well, on this frying pan-based bombshell, we've come to the end of the podcast. It's been fun to be back at the helm hosting this chaos once again. Uh, my thanks to my panel for suffering through that quiz. Um, apart from Amy, who revealed the answer and then still managed to get it wrong. Um, I got it one. right! Uh, Connor, would you like to do the outro? I've not got the script, George. <laughs> 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 oh, you've been kind of a script. Right, let's do this. My thanks to my panel for suffering through another episode of Red Rose Reporting and to you guys for listening through another episode of Red Rose Reporting. Um, you can find the panel in the link below where I'm going to link once again to all their social media scripts. I'd ask them what they're up to, but I think they pretty much alluded to it at the start of the episode, so no need. Um, do join us again, where in a few weeks' time, we're going to be hopefully having another episode discussing the upcoming local elections. Uh, we're going to hopefully have a couple of interviews for uh, people running within Young Labour selections. And keep your eyes out for a series which I promised a year ago and is now in the works. Electflix. It's coming soon. But for now, goodbye. <laughs>